0: You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world. As a part-time CFO, she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy. Kelly Sullivan-Router is a former clinical
1: psychotherapist of two decades who left the profession to raise the bar in the coaching industry with years of formal training, experience and expertise with the human psyche. She is a sought after speaker and CEO development strategist who helps entrepreneurs create safe and foundational psychological shifts that result in exponential business growth without sacrificing values, ethics or joy. Kelly believes that women are being called to rise and lead like never before in modern history, and entrepreneurs are perfectly positioned to create a massive healing impact on the planet. She seeks to positively impact women worldwide by teaching them to create personal masteries so they are confident, brave, and in command as they work through the messy phases of scaling and growth. Kelly is a hardcore introvert, Starbucks addict, unapologetic Scorpio, and lover of all things beach. When she isn't working, Kelly is hanging with her ride-or-die besties, has her head in a book, or is with her husband and two sons, often at the baseball field. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's an awesome opportunity to chat and learn so much from your experience. Can you perhaps get us started with some background beyond the bio, what were you doing and what got you started in strategic CEO development and coaching?
2: I I so appreciate you asking this because I think sometimes when people bump into business owners on podcasts or social media, it just looks like the person sort of arrived on the scene with some overnight success <laughs> and so it's it, never actually the truth. There's always a journey and I was a clinical psychotherapist for tw- 20 years in the United States. But prior to that, I, I often joke with people and I say, you don't become a psychotherapist because you had a wonderful childhood. <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> that's not where you end up. Interesting. And that's, <laughs> right. And that's not any different for me, quite honestly. And to be candid, and I do think it's important that that I share this as part of my story, but my life started out with me likely becoming a statistic because I am a survivor of very early childhood sexual abuse from age three to five, and it was within my family. And so from the get go coming into this world, things were very, very difficult and challenging. So from for really almost the entirety of my 50 years on the planet, I have had some struggle or another that stemmed from that early traumatic experience. So I've gone through depression, anxiety. I have PTSD. I had a very nasty bout with an eating disorder as as a young adult. Um, and so I, while I'm a very resilient person because I've been required to be. Early on, I decided that I was not going to be a statistic. Uh-huh. There was just something in me that said, You are here for something greater than just experiencing these very traumatic things. And let's figure out what that means. And so, of course, naturally, I was drawn to study psychology. Uh, and then I went on to graduate school and I decided that I was going, originally going to work with families who were adopting. Awesome. and Yes. And I just thought, what a beautiful population. And then I got into graduate school and I had just begun really my journey for for recovering from an eating disorder. And as part of that journey, I was doing a lot of public speaking. I was speaking all over to colleges and universities and high schools, students really, about having an eating disorder, about being in recovery. And then I was approached by someone who said, you really have a gift uh, working with adolescents. Would you consider changing your path? And I did. And I went into psychotherapy, never looked back. It was a wonderful 20 year career. And then at about the 20 year mark, 19 or so years, I found myself feeling very tired, very uh, overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and teetering on burnout. I did work that I'm very proud of. It was very fulfilling. Um, I had a great practice. It was full with a waiting list. And yet that voice came up again that said, there's something more for you and there's more for you to do. And so I hired a coach and looked at what was happening in the online coaching industry. And quite honestly, Nola, I was really appalled. I was really Mm -hmm. appalled, especially in the quote unquote mindset niche. And I said, here is where I can bring expertise and serve and close the gap and provide really high level service for people with mastery and education and
1: expertise where it's lacking. So that's really the story in a nutshell. Fantastic. And mindset is just so valuable. You Mm -hmm. know, let's face it, we all of a fashion. We don't know what is causing us to behave the way we do today. We've absorbed all kinds of experiences through life. We've seen, we've done things, we've been told not to do or see certain things. And so the mindset must be such an exciting world to kind of work in as you explore people. So where does one even start in trying to go down this realm with clients? Mm -hmm.
2: So, you know, what I've seen is a lot of people in this field have a very rudimentary coaching certificate for example because oh. remember in the coaching industry there is zero barrier to entry right. you can literally build out a website call yourself any kind of coach that you want claim to be an expert there is no governance over that there's no regulation there's nothing so i see a lot of people getting weekend coaching certifications or 6 months and you're you know a master coach And I came into this, I'm at year 27 now, and I came into it at year 20 thinking to myself, I wouldn't want to be working with someone who was trained for six months on my my mind. My mind, which is connected to my emotions, which is connected to my behaviors, which is connected to my finances, my health, my relationships, all of the things that are so profoundly important. So for me, it I came in with the education, the thousands and thousands of years of, yeah. of practice and mastery and training, really essential training, and felt very equipped to work on Mindset. And I'll be honest with you though, Nola, I don't call myself a mindset coach Mm -hmm. because in some ways I think it cheapens what I do. And because so many people have hired coaches who think mindset is creating a vision board and walking around saying affirmations. And if that's all it took, we'd all do it. And we'd all be (laughs) Off the full right? No stress, no problems, no limiting beliefs. Everything would be hunky-dory. And I'm not saying those aren't tools in your toolbox, but I think, unfortunately, too many people have built entire businesses around, write in your journal and say affirmations and do a vision board. And so I decided not to call myself that because it's really, that is just the very tip of the iceberg in working with the human psyche and the interface between mind, emotion, and behavior. And since I work primarily with female entrepreneurs, I feel that because you all are smart and savvy and driven and ambitious, it's a great disservice to only work really at that very surface level.
1: Mm, makes a lot of sense. So now you work extensively with female entrepreneurs, but you obviously have or have had a lot of men as clients. Yes. Do you find that women are, are pretty different in terms of the way they approach their entrepreneurial existence as well mm-hmm. as their life? Are they quite different?
2: Yes, and And I mean that in a good way, but it's also challenging. So I'm a firm believer that any system that is going to be highly successful will be representative of the population it serves, whether that's your, you know, your political system or a system in your community or a religious system. I I think having uh, men and women and you know, non-binary people all represented is incredibly important. Oh, yeah, We do have differences. And when we bring them to the table, they really make for excellent outcomes. But sometimes uh, there are gender sort of learned differences to approaching Ooh. things that are not always terribly helpful. And that's true for both genders. The truth for both genders. I mean, I have two sons, they're 18 and 15, and they didn't learn that crying is weak in our home, but they Lots. picked it up somewhere. And yeah. so I'm constantly having to help them unlearn that mm-hmm. as that, that mm-hmm. um, belief that that is a weakness. And so in working with women, I found that there are several paradigms that they often work in, that we often work in, that need to be unlearned, that there are sub, primarily subconscious beliefs that drive certain behaviors that are not terribly helpful when you own and run and lead a business. So this is what I work with when, with women in my group program and men privately.
1: Well, there you go. So you are still working with both men and women at the moment. Yes. So you work with the men privately. Do you find that the genders approach the mindset work and the self-improvement, shall we call it, Mm. in different ways? Are there perhaps... Subconscious, I would guess, mm. uh, differences in people's approach. Do, for, for argument's sake, do the women like to do it as a group and the men perhaps like to do it individually? Or are, is it just that they, possibly again inadvertently, are willing to reach out individually? Or the women are more inclined to say, oh, there is a group. Let me approach it from that perspective first, drawn to the group perhaps.
2: Sure. So I think it's probably more uh, fair and more representative to say that it's not so much about being a man or a woman. It's about what you've been taught about being a man or a woman that either encourages you to show up in a certain way or discourages you to show up in a certain way. Now, this is also not across the board, right? We can't say all women fill in the blank or all men fill in the blank, right? So, right. so there are certainly differences within gender as and across gender. Mm-hmm. But what I have found is with women in particular, Again, not that men do not have trauma, not that men are not exposed to things that are damaging, but what I have found is that for women, when they can operate in a very safe group with very clear, healthy, uh, consistently enforced boundaries, and they feel safe in community, they are able to show up in in my program very, very fully. Fully. Awesome. So there's no competing, there's no undercutting They're, you know, they are consistently trying to shine more because one of the things that women have been taught is how dare you outshine someone else. That's yeah. mean, that's not nice. That's, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, words and beliefs mm-hmm. that are not terribly helpful. And so there's a sort of a great unlearning that goes on when women can be safe, but still be incredibly ambitious and incredibly hungry and driven and can show up and talk just as much about their success as they do about their failure. And I have found that women are more hesitant to talk about their success, but the men are more hesitant to talk about their failure. And that's Isn't a that so, that's a social construct, really. Yeah. It's not because they're men; it's because what they've been taught about being men and what women have taught about being women. Uh, so it's very, very interesting. There's many, many differences, but really the key is to unlearn and move out of the way, the beliefs and the paradigms that you operate under that don't allow you to be the best version of yourself, regardless of gender, right. so that you can lead your team, you can lead your clients, you could lead your company to greater, greater degrees of success and impact and revenue that 's really the key for both genders,
1: yeah, so do you find women are inclined to hold themselves back in business? You know I mean, I encounter quite a lot of things like use one example, um, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and i I know a lot of men who have exactly the same problem. But I have noticed that there is a very common thread among women to feel they are an imposter or that they're not adequately qualified or experienced to do a certain role. So do you come across that quite a lot in your work?
2: I come across it all the time. And, you know, there's been some really interesting and solid research done in this arena with women and men in a corporate setting. Where the research and it's been repeated, the research has been repeated several times. So, uh, you know, I find the outcomes to be relatively reliable. And what it shows is that uh, men will quite often go for the position that is out of their reach, that is above their sort of, you know, zone of genius, their wheelhouse, so to speak, with great confidence that they deserve and are capable of that position and women who are overqualified for the position won't even apply, won't even apply. So the underqualified men put themselves out there and have confidence. The overqualified women lack confidence and often will hold themselves back from even applying for it. So it's very, very, very interesting dynamic. And as we know, there are a lot of people who started in the corporate arena and left to start their own businesses. So you don't just exit corporate and leave all of your beliefs and habits behind with you, you know, bring uh, them all with you into building a business. And so, yes, I see this play out, not all the time, not across the board, but it is pretty frequent.
1: That's a valid comment, I must admit, because there are an awful lot of people who leave the corporate world because they don't like it, they feel they're being prejudiced, whatever the case may be. They think they can do better on the other side, even though the road is really hard as an entrepreneur. You know, it takes a lot of bravery to step out and say, I am going to be my sole support moving forward. I am going to make the money myself and Mm -hmm. that type of thing. But that's a very valid point that you don't leave your beliefs behind. So are women's businesses perhaps just – not doing as well as they should be, which unfortunately, at a certain level, I feel that is prejudicing society. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't get our businesses, which are the backbone of our economy, Mm -hmm. to do exceedingly well, they Mm -hmm. are depriving whoever those potential clients and customers are of their fantastic gifts in the world And they themselves suffer and society suffers. So that is really, really unfortunate. Do you see the same kind of bias from the other perspective in, for argument's sake, when men are recruiting, are they inclined to choose the potentially underqualified man who's put himself out there? over the exceptionally overqualified woman? And do you see women recruiting in the same way? Or is there a bit of a, I mean, obviously we're generalizing on gender here, but it's a kind of characteristics that I'm just wondering if the candidate is not putting themselves out in the Mm -hmm. same way. Are the recruiters inadvertently doing the same thing from the other side?
2: Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting question. And I think I can't answer it. In a good way, because my clientele tend to be extremely self-aware people. So because they are so self, I mean, the work I'm doing with entrepreneurs is, you know, CEO development. It is personal growth work for the benefit of yourself and your business. And so they come in, people who are not particularly self-aware don't even know to do that work on themselves, let alone, you know, seek it out. And so the both the men and the women I work with are tend to be aware of these things and on the lookout for Am I doing that? Is my company, is the person who's doing recruiting for me in my company doing that? So they tend to be very aware, not only about gender, but about any marginalized group nice. of people. So people of color, people from the LGBTQIA community, just marginalized people in general. And they tend to, I'm very fortunate that way that yes. my clientele tend to be very aware. And if they are, making a mistake, they catch it and they very quickly would like to
1: understand where is that coming from and how can I do that better and differently? Very interesting. And that's actually a valid point, but it's potentially the wrong sector of society, shall Mm -hmm. we call it, to be able to see if there is a bias. I mean, I do believe we all have subconscious biases and it's unfortunate, but it's also a reality which, you know, comes from our conditioning or whatever it is, and one's got to actively work on it to overcome the obstacle, both mm-hmm. to yourself and to whoever you're dealing with. You've got to become mm-hmm. more self-aware, as you suggest, to, uh, to to get that whole culture flowing through your business. And Agreed. Spread. And
2: I so appreciate you saying that, I just have to say, because... There are so many people resistant to this idea that we all have subconscious biases. But I I often say to people, just because you decided to be a business owner or a CEO does not mean you got to sidestep the human condition. You didn't get to just exit, you know, being a human with all of our... Imperfections and design flaws, and whatever you don't get to just, you know, skip over that part. You have to learn to work with that. And so, because we have a subconscious mind and because of the way it is designed and the way it works, we do pick up some wonderful things along the way, but we also pick up some things that are not terribly helpful and about all kinds of things race and gender and success and power and money, all sorts of things. And you have to first be willing to acknowledge. That that exists and it doesn't make you a bad person. What it makes you is a person who has an opportunity to do better, to do better. Right. But it that requires bravery as well to say, Oh, there are things lurking around in parts of my mind. I don't even know how I pick them up, but they are my responsibility. They are mine. And I have to own that I have that and see that, Oh, I have an opportunity to do so much better by exploring them, facing them, dealing with the feelings they bring up and then changing them so I can operate as the leader of a brave business. We need more brave leaders of more brave businesses
1: around the globe. And then everyone benefits. Absolutely. So true. So that brings up a valid point. So how does one even begin to start identifying all these obstacles that are in our history? Can you give yes. us some examples?
2: Yes. And I mean, this is something, honestly, Nola, I could talk about for 17 podcast interviews, but <laughs> uh, you know we all have to start somewhere. And so I tell people all the time, and this is something um, that I heard from Dr. Bruce Lipton and uh, Jack Campbell and several, several other people who are either in the personal development or the science side of development. Okay. Um, Dr. Joe Dispenza is another one who talks about this, where the best place to start is to look at, I say your business since I'm working with entrepreneurs, but your your business or your life and look at it as a mirror So what your business will reflect back to you all the time is where you could use a little assistance. And the way it reflects back to you is with the symptoms that cause you pain,
0: that cause you pain.
2: Mm. So where are the pain points in your business? The second thing I say to people is where do you know better? So cognitively, intellectually, rationally, where do you know better? But continue to make decisions that sabotage you, your team, your revenue, your schedule. You will absolutely be sabotaging yourself in one, if not all of those areas, right? Those things right there, just those two self-examinations and examination of business will show you where you have a subconscious belief that is undermining your conscious mind. And you have to understand the subconscious mind is the captain of your ship. We are all inclined to believe that the conscious mind where the intellect resides, because especially here, uh, you know, in Western society, we've been taught the intellect is king. It's not, (laughs) let me tell you, it is not. It is part of your toolbox, but it is not king. Your belief system, your subconscious belief system will override your intellect nine times out of 10. Mm. And that can cause immense frustration and spinning your wheels, working harder, working longer, struggling, hustling, getting overwhelmed and burnt out, shutting down completely, going into avoidance mode. Because we are taught, oh, to do better, just go learn more. Just go learn more or just go work harder. Just put, you know, you're doing 50 hours, do 60. That's the problem. You're not working hard (laughs) enough. When really that's a recipe for where we are now, which is a lot of people who want to quit. A lot of people who are completely tapped out and burned out. And a lot of people have burned through their finances because they continue to invest in strategy and tactics instead of investing in yourself, in yourself, so that the strategies and tactics you used are really aligned for the type of business you're running and the type of leader you are. That is really
1: the key there. That's the key. Yeah, absolutely. Now, have you, just as a thought, have you noticed any Changes through the pandemic. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the observations we've all had is that with people working at home, there's been a lot more acceptance of the whole person. Mm-hmm. So where particularly women, mm-hmm. you would see a lot, had to bring their business persona to the office and leave the personal persona or the childcare persona or the look after the parents' caregiver mm-hmm. persona, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. all those other problems had to be left outside and Mm -hmm. you switched off when you came to the office you were a different person you Mm -hmm. put on the nice uh, collar and tie and uh, Mm -hmm. in you came whereas through the pandemic we're seeing a lot more people that have to have the child or the dog or the whatever interfering with their meetings Mm -hmm. what impact have you seen happening through this
2: now, for me, this has been one of the positives of the pandemic. And this is coming from, by the way, I got COVID-19 in July of 2020, and I was actively oh. sick until May of 2021. Wow. So this, is, so this is a very, this pandemic's been hit me very, very personally. Yeah. Um, but what I have seen, like a positive that has come out of the pandemic is I was never a big fan of using create an alter ego mm-hmm. <laughs> as a coping, as a long-term coping mechanism. I think for a very short-term thing, it's great. It's great. It works. If your nerves are just so overwhelmed about stepping on a stage and you, you know, use an alter ego to get yourself to walk out from that curtain and step on the stage. That's great. But I don't love this idea of s- separate disintegrated personas. I am a big fan. And this is something I teach when I work with women of being a fully integrated leader. Mm. So your parts are your parts all the time. And you can choose when to express certain parts of who you are based on what role you're in. But I'm not just a mother when I'm with my children. I'm a mother all the time. I'm not just a business owner when I'm actively working. I'm a business owner all the time. And so I don't shift from mode to mode. I often say to people, you might see me on a stage in front of a thousand or 2000 people, and then run into me in the ladies room after my talk. And you will get the exact same person (laughs) all the time, the exact same person. So I don't use personas and I think what has happened that's been beneficial is that we've had to drop them because you could be and we've all seen these hilarious videos right where somebody's on a Zoom meeting and they're doing something very you know serious and in walks the toddler you know with in all their glory wrecking the office and yeah and we were either going to resist that or the the puppy runs in and jumps on your lap Whatever. in front of the camera yeah. and knocks everything around right so we've we've we were either going to resist that or we were going to embrace that
1: mm. and i
2: think because the pandemic has been such a chronic stressor rather than what we had hoped it would be which is a short term acute stressor we had to adapt and you right. don't adapt by being in resistance to something that you can't do anything about. Yeah, That will burn you out.
1: No, so, so true.
2: Yeah. And so we've must, embraced it.
1: I'm hoping that it lasts, to be honest. Yes. You know, I mean, and where I live, we are starting to open up and everyone's returning to the office. And there are several companies that are beginning to instruct all of their staff straight back into the office, almost uh let's return to the old world. And I must admit, I am very hopeful that that is not where we're headed. There probably will be some companies, maybe the traditional companies, whatever, will do that. They may keep the people who like that kind of mm-hmm. lifestyle who've been there for a long time. There may be a revolving door of the others. Mm-hmm. But I would question if for society and longer term, if it wouldn't be better to keep some element of a blend, but more towards that whole person that we've become through the through the pandemic. I, mean, I, uh,
2: I agree wholeheartedly with that. And my hope is that, especially big corporation owners or people with very large staffs are willing to really get to know who's on their staff because Mm. people are leaving very high paying jobs because they've decided after having a taste of being able to be home and be available and on certain days be in more relaxed clothing or whatever, that this has been much better for them in a holistic way. So if CEOs and company owners take the time to get to know their team, their staff well, and are willing to create a hybrid model, I think you'll see much more employee satisfaction and employee retention. And we Mm -hmm. all know that when you find a wonderful team member, you want them to want to stay and you want them to be happy because they'll do a much better job, but their health will be better. Their mental health will be better. It, it's just a win-win all around. And so I hope really that business owners are across the board and across the globe are wise enough to stop treating their team members As cattle, really, and start seeing them as human beings with lives and dreams and mental health and physical health and different needs, and being willing to be adaptable and flexible that way to retain really, really good employers and even contractors, because contractors are saying that the money's wonderful, but I can't stand working for you. You're making my stress go through the roof. So I'm going to walk away from the money too. Um, so, yeah, my I agree with you wholeheartedly, and that's my hope as well.
1: Yeah, no, I think – and quite honestly, my experience is the more fun your team members are having, the higher their productivity. Agreed. So everybody wins that way because the greater the stretch that you afford to your, your team, the more they learn, the more they grow, the more fun they have, the more you get mm-hmm. and their peers get yes. in, within – within the team. So it's beneficial to everybody. I must admit though, on the other side, I have questioned if for some people, it's very hard to manage people remote. Yes, And if that is where some of the the challenge lies, that even though we've been in this world for all this time, people haven't managed to cross that challenge mm-hmm. of learning how to manage people remote, because it is a very, very different skill. And a lot of people are afraid of it. You know, things it, like a hard is. conversation over a Zoom call. It's a different experience. It,
2: <laughs> it is. And what I would say is, in terms of human adaptability, I mean, we are incredibly adaptable creatures, but we have been asked to adapt at lightning speed, under fear-inducing, you know, circumstances. And with real tragedy and trauma and things happening around us that are not just in our community, it happened on a global scale. I don't think we've been asked as as a species to adapt like this during our generation. Oh, yeah. And so I think the important thing, in terms of keeping optimism about how can we do do this, not can we or can't we, but how can we do this, is remembering that this is a skill set. This is a skill set that can be learned over time with practice. So before the pandemic even happened, there had been a significant period of time where e therapy, so e counseling, e psychotherapy. There started to be a movement towards this, especially because in certain areas here in the United States the more rural areas, it was difficult to find a therapist within driving distance or walking distance. You know if you're working on a farm, the likelihood that you know you're going to find a psychotherapist' office within an hour is it might be very small, yeah, so there was this movement here. To you know, certify therapists in e-therapy so that you could have virtual access, but you need specific training on um being able to get over and past the virtual so, so-called virtual what? barrier and continue to be able to read uh you know, body language and um, changes in voice and all sorts of things, and also people's resistance that naturally happens to being on camera. It triggers a lot of things for people. And so if you can do it in that niche, in that field, we can learn how to do this across the board in any field. Because remember, in, in psychotherapy and counseling, we're sometimes dealing with suicidal clients. I mean, yeah. crisis, crises. If we can learn how to do that and medicine can learn how you know to adapt, I feel like it's adaptable for any field. We just have to remember you don't just do it. There is learning, there's training, there's skill building. That comes with practice and supervision
1: and other things. So it can be done. It can be done. Yeah. And I think we need to teach that skill to a lot more people. And I mean, I challenge the companies out there to consider that as one element of their personal development that even if their people are all in the office give them some aspect of that skill and ability that is a totally different skill, a, a staring at someone on a flat screen when there's a human being behind it. it it's a different experience in a way. and it's
2: It's very, very different. And I think that smart companies will arm their teams with that skill because, you know, I don't think this is the last we're going to see of pandemics. And so there may be times when certain areas of the world need to temporarily go back to being fully remote. Wow. And so I think if you're going to firm up your company, that, that could be a vulnerability for you. People like me are very used to this. My whole business has been online for seven years. Other than my speaking you know, engagements wow. at events and whatnot, everything has been done this way because my clients are all over the world. So I'm very used to it. There was no bump for me, but I watch several companies tried to go almost overnight virtual and mm-hmm. it was a disaster. Yeah. And so if that happened, it, that should be a lesson, right? Yeah. That should, we should look at that and say, oh, we need to firm this up because should this raise its head again, or should some other unpredictable thing happen? We can very quickly
1: go back to remote and it's a blip on the screen. So, so true. I mean, it's now an opportunity for people to... I mean, one would hope that we've addressed some of the skill set, but I know we haven't all addressed the skill set through two years. So let's take the next six months or year and try and address some of these skills so that people can get there and yes. and hopefully have a have a lot of fun. And then if and when we go back to this or need to, due to personal circumstances, maybe sure. somebody... I don't know you 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 live in a you work in a a uh, an office that requires physical access and you break your legs and you exactly. can't get there now exactly. you're virtual so you know it's it's not even a pandemic it's a reality where pe- previously we'd put people on disability for whatever reason they couldn't get to the office they couldn't work well, we can in many roles. Now, not, not every role, unfortunately, but um, it's pretty awesome. Yes. So now, if one looks at a lot of your um, clients, they're in the entrepreneurial world, you must have seen quite a lot of characteristics that seem to show the difference between how personality impacts people. I mean, use one example, Colby quick start versus Mm -hmm. Colby very low on the quick start. Yes, There must be different skills in trying to assist those people. How Mm -hmm. does one differentiate them?
2: You know, that's an excellent question. And this is why I am so grateful that I came to this particular business with 20 years as a psychotherapist, because My, you know, one of my skills and abilities is being able to adapt what I teach to just about anyone who comes in. So I'm a nine quick start, I am low on everything else. I am low on everything else, but I have a lot of very high fact finder clients, so they don't make decisions or commitments or actions quite as quickly as I do. And my understanding of the the intersection of, say, personality traits with something like your Colby assessment, which we do use in my program, helps me to understand how you're beautifully and perfectly designed, but each of us that that design can work to our favor or to our detriment based what? on the level of mastery we have over our own selves. And so that's really the work I do with people is I you don't need to be a different person. You're wonderful the way you are. You may need to build your team differently than you thought. Because who are quick starts attracted to? Other quick starts. If you try to build a team full of quick starts, you're not going to get anything done. You're going (laughs) to sit around and dream big all day and come up with amazing ideas that are mind blowing and you will get absolutely nothing done if you're like me and you're not big on follow through, right? right? So that impacts how I build my team but we don't want to look to change you. If you're a big visionary person, we want you being a big visionary person, but we have to address where you may not, where you may be holding yourself back based on confidence issues, based what? on beliefs that you have, based on some habits you developed over time. I, th- I think of one example. So I grew up in a very ambitious family, and I heard all the time about how lazy I was. Lazy, lazy, lazy. And I was not lazy. What I was was a quick start. So I do everything at the last minute. All of my best work is produced at the last minute. My most creative, inspiring work is done either on the spot or right before it needs to go live. And so my family told me that was laziness. But what I learned was, no, that is how I work best. Now for another person, if you ask them to do things on the spot or last moment, they might freeze, they might shift into overwhelm, their brain might go completely blank, they're sweating, they're panicking. That is not the best way for them right? They're, the best way for them is incrementally over time before the due date. But when you label something negative, instead of saying, no, let's figure out how you work best, then that person internalizes a character flaw like laziness. And laziness mm-hmm. in the United States is you know, one of the worst of the worst Absolutely. things you could possibly ever be. Yeah. It's horrible. I am not lazy, I have lazy moments, but I'm not we a lazy all do, Let's right. be honest, <laughs> right? But this is the message I was told over and over and over and over, and so I would drive myself to exhaustion mm-hmm. by working and working and working. That's not my way. Yeah, when I learned, oh my goodness, anyway. this is this is not my way. Nor am I this negative thing, and I was able to let that label go. I was able to operate at my best as my best self at my best capacity and even expand my capacity because I wasn't wasting energy
1: fighting this label right right and there you go there's one of the the the, the subconscious biases that mm-hmm. you had to identify and yeah. address in yourself a, a perfect example so okay. now we find that Many entrepreneurs are incredibly successful, but for some reason, there are entrepreneurs that just never succeed. They Mm -hmm. either hold themselves back or they they fail repeatedly. Have you noticed any particular characteristics in these different groups of people or something Mm -hmm. that they should be looking at?
2: Yeah, I, I think there are several contributing factors, and I don't even know if I could name all of them. I mean sometimes it's literally that you entered an industry at the worst possible time you could enter right. it and it just wasn't going to fly even Stay though you back. had a, a, a great idea, right? Yeah. But when it comes to to people what i have found is number 1 you your willingness to reframe failure from a personal inadequacy to a learning opportunity ensures the likelihood that you will get up and try again because anyone who's had any degree of success however you personally define that word will tell you that failing but failing forward is a requirement of achieving goals that matter to you you will not i don't care i've seen all this marketing online you know make a million dollars in seven and a half minutes nonsense Anybody who's made any money is going to tell you that's nonsense. That's not the way it works.
1: I'd like to achieve that. Thank you. Right, right. But because
2: human beings love quick fixes and love the fastest way with the least amount of suffering, we fall for this kind of marketing all the time right? So number, number one, I'd say is this acceptance of failure and this re, um, shifting of paradigms that failure is required. And that when you do it, if you turn it into an opportunity for learning about yourself, your team, your systems and operations, how you can better, um, serve people, if you can do that, you're really going to do much better because the key in entrepreneurship is learning to play the long game. Right. Yes. Short, short wins are fabulous. They are great for, you know, again, wind in your sales and cash infusion and, you know, just getting the team excited, yeah. but you don't getting build right. a meaningful business on that. It's, you've got to play the long game. Yeah. Secondly is I have seen, I have watched three multimillion dollar businesses close in the last, since end of November, oh, people wow. who have been in business a long time.
0: Yeah. And there
2: was one characteristic about the owner slash CEO of each of these businesses. Interestingly, totally very different businesses in totally different niches and industries. And the difference was the business owner had narcissistic tendencies, meaning that he or she was not willing to delegate fully to team, would not relinquish control, would not take corrective feedback very well from their team members, who are experts in their own right in their own roles, right. um, and they end up ended up tanking multi million dollar Amazing. businesses. They and know. these are brilliant people, by the way. This has oh, absolutely yeah. nothing to do with intellect. They were just they did not do the work on themselves to get out of their own way. To get out oh. of their own way.
1: Reason to do it early. Yes,
2: yes, absolutely. And so this pandemic came and they did more pushing, shoving, manipulating, controlling, control, 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 instead of being in command. Your business needs you to be in command, not in control. So that means you are not reactive, you are responsive. To be responsive, you have to be agile, flexible, innovative, creative, and you also have to be humble you have to be humble so that's another defining factor that i've seen and the last thing is we are all as human beings born with a degree of resilience mm-hmm. and depending on what you are exposed to over time and how that interacts sort of mixes with your personality um and a few other factors certain people have end up with a greater degree of bounce back oh. so I find that the most resilient people keep getting back up yeah. and we may get back up. I've been knocked down more times than I can count by, by things that came out of left field. I just had spine, unexpected spine surgery, December 30th. That was not in my plan. Not in your 20-21. plan. <laughs> 21, No that was not in the the game plan for Q4. Hello. You know, and it knocked me out of business for six straight weeks. Like that was not part of the plan. So, you know, and things like this have happened. I mean, again, getting COVID, having trauma, all of these, you know, this is not part of what you expect when you say I'm going to build a business. (laughs) You know, this is not part of the plan, but again, you're not that it, it hurt me every time in different ways. It took the wind out of my sails. Yes. It brought up doubt. It brought up every emotion known to man or woman. It just, it was very, every time it was difficult. But because I have built a skill set that contributes to resilience and fortitude, I've been able to get back up and continue to move forward towards what I feel is purpose and calling and fulfillment. And I think not enough people are doing it and doing that work, that skill building work. Why? Because it's profoundly uncomfortable, but you're going to feel discomfort now, or you're going to feel it later. And I am a big fan of like, let's do it now so that it's much more manageable later because you cannot run a business and not feel discomfort. It's impossible. Impossible. But a lot of people just avoid. They don't want to feel the feelings or look at the inner obstacles or talk about uncomfortable things. They just would. I just just tell me the numbers and tell me the system and tell me the tactic and let's just implement. Let's implement. Make it simple. Yes. (laughs) All the time. Well, human beings are not simple. We can simplify. Absolutely. I am the biggest fan of simplifying absolutely everything from the inner work to the strategic and tactical work in your business. Right. But it doesn't mean you don't, you get to escape the feels of it. You're still a human before you're a business owner. So that's the third thing I would say. I've seen make a profound difference in people's ability to not only kind of survive the pandemic and keep your business open, but thrive during a pandemic
1: thrive. So much sense that, uh, Yeah. You know, and very interesting that you should see, as you say, multi-million dollar businesses, and you do see common threads in those who really succeed, really thrive, really just generally, and I'm sure it's in life as well as in business, that those same characteristics are helping them just all round. Absolutely.
2: Because your business is really, I mean, it, If you as the leader are the weakest link in your business, eventually an obstacle will show up that will cause you to crumble. Yes. So the leader cannot be the weak link. You cannot be the bottleneck in the business. That's why the inner work now more than ever, I believe, is going to be something that differentiates companies and leaders and quality of teams, right? Because we all want to be led by somebody who is strong, inspiring, and wise. You don't have to know everything. You have to be wise enough to say, I don't know the answer to that. Let's go find somebody who's an expert and knows the answer in that, So to that. So I think really that is going to be a huge differentiator and it's why I'm so, I've always been excited to be in this part of the field, but it's why now I'm so grateful to be doing this work because this really is the work people need to be doing
1: absolutely so that brings up a valid valid um thought are there trends that you see that we're likely to start seeing and experiencing in our local environment in the world wherever over the next 5 years whatever mm-hmm. it might be which is in a way, a long time, if one thinks of uh, how fast things change.
2: I I know. And especially because just the lens of the last two years, I mean, I feel in some ways it lasted three months and in some ways it was 30 years. So So I agree. I agree. Yes. I see. I think you're going to see several things because I'm already seeing them emerge. Number one, I think you're going to see a fading or less of a tolerance for the old school, very patriarchal style of running businesses. And I mean that men will also see, this is not the way to create wins in every area. And if you are not creating wins for yourself, your team, and the recipients of your products and services, you are not winning. It can, mm-hmm. You can't leave any one of those out. So I think we're going to start to see that erode. I am happy to see it go. Goodbye. I'm very happy. Yeah. Um, I think, number two, you are going to see a massive increase in the level of consumer savviness, especially in the online space. Because for years, marketers have gotten away with murder, honestly. I mean, they were selling snow to, you know, people living, you know, in... English, basically.
1: In, yeah, I was going to say in Northern Canada. Yeah, where it, exactly. We get it all the time. <laughs>
2: exactly. And there's been this, and look, it's please don't come at me, everyone, with all marketers are not. I know this. No, but not. there's been a lot of damaging marketing that created millions of dollars, but also created very little outcome because what they, the mastery was in the marketing, not in the delivery of what you sold. So I think people have been burned and burned and burned again. And so you'll see this level of discernment and savviness really increase in consumers. I think this is a good thing because what consumers now want are experts and masters, experts and masters, and they're willing to pay for it. They're willing to pay for it. My business has grown by leaps and bounds during a pandemic. Why? Because people said, I'm not having somebody come work with my mind and my emotions who, you know, is their first year out of school or didn't even go to school for this, you know, has an MBA and got a life coaching certificate or something. No. So I think, you know, just even anecdotally, my business is a reflection of the fact that People who may in the past have settled for something that sounded good, they really want to know now that they're being served by an expert and then they're willing to make the exchange of money for value. Right. right? So I think we're going to see more and more of that. And I encourage that. I encourage that. Mm -hmm. I also think we're going to see a massive shift in sales tactics. And what I mean by that is. We've all been sold to in really gross ways (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that feel like, oh, I need to go take a shower after that 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 conversation. Or after that,
1: yeah,
2: after that message, we've all been slimed in the DMs on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. So I think that you're going to see smart business owners learn that human connection honesty, integrity, authenticity even though that's a buzzword. Real authenticity, that is what's going to promote sales. Why? Because that's what a relationship requires and sa- a sale when you are in a service-based industry is all about relationship building. Yeah. So I think we're going to see a I really hope we see a, a big change in how we do sales and how we view sales from a tactic to get money to a service. I mean even during the sales conversation you you should be serving someone, mm-hmm. not just looking to reach into their wallet. So I think we're going to see a big change in that. And I finally, see. I think and this has already been happening, but I think we're going to be see a a trend in turning away from everything being automated.
0: Right. Everything
2: being automated. Um especially in Sort of this, bi- the entrepreneurial business industry, where we got used to automated everything because of its efficiency. But what it gives you in efficiency, it lacks in human connection. And because the pandemic caused us to have to be disconnected from each other in order to keep each other safe and well and alive, mm-hmm. um, we're really craving. That human connection on a deeper level now. And so there absolutely is place, a a place for automation. We do have automations in my company, but we are really. Slowing things down and making sure there's a lot of high touch human connection yeah. in our community, in our program, in, you know, how we run our business from the very first touch of when you say, here's something back from my executive assistant, right? All the way to when you're working with me, more high touch. I think people are really craving transformation, not just Information and you've got to give them a way to go from consuming information to integration of that information to then transformation. Ah. And it takes a skilled person and a skilled team of people to provide that experience for for your clients. So I think that's the last, one of the last things we'll also yeah. see. Yeah,
1: I mean, it'll be awesome. Wouldn't it be a pleasure if we could jump forward five years and look back on how much we actually gained to change? Or yes. maybe in five years, we need to look back and try and remember a microcosm of what today is and, Absolutely. and try and compare it.
2: Because as hard as it's been, and for some people as tragic it is, as it has been, with all hard and bad things, there are also good things and, and lessons and opportunities. And I don't mean that in a like overlook the bad because we just focus on the positive. I mean, that's that's nonsense. And I can't stand when I hear that, but what I, I want people to remember is that There there is always light with the dark. And so do look for it while you're in the darkness. And you may, if you're listening to this, you may really be in it right now. Please spend a few moments a day looking for the possibility, the opportunity, the lesson, the thing that could make it a bit lighter for for you, because it's there. I promise that it's there and it doesn't negate what you're going through, but that possibility for it to be better
1: is there for sure. Yeah, and I think psychologically we need that little glimmer of the positive, mm-hmm. just almost reenergize, keep going. Okay, tomorrow I'll I'll try again. Let, let's, which can be very hard when you're right. in a very deep dark place. It's hard to look it, for the positive.
2: It yeah. is, and I think that that's why even in the online space. Uh, Group programs and community-based programs that are run properly are going to thrive because we, you know, I don't know about you, but not all my friends are entrepreneurs. Some of them don't even get what I do. I mean, I have friends that are attorneys and school teachers and, you know, the whole gamut. So they look at me and they're like, I don't know what she does, but I'm just really proud of her. You know, those are my girlfriends. Yeah. I've got your back every step of the way, <laughs> but, but there I need an entrepreneurial community and also having a global community where we're talking yes. about, well, what's business like in the UK right now? What's business like in Canada, in Australia, in Asia, what's it like right now? Yeah. And so I think that community gives us that right where we can say, I meet with my community and I remember why I'm doing what I'm doing, and I remember who I am. And I remember get up again tomorrow and put your best foot forward and just try just again. Try, try yeah. again. You're not alone. And that is a hard
1: thing to remember on dark days. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's very, very painful. Yeah. So now I'm quite certain we could chat all day. If the listeners want to contact you to learn about the programs, to learn more about you, how do they go about doing that?
2: Sure. I I would say the best thing I could give you as the audience is something to learn about you, not me. So we created an assessment. So after 27 years, I start to see these patterns Of subconscious beliefs emerge. And they're so profoundly interesting. And they're patterns that sabotage you as an entrepreneur. So we created, I took months and months to create, it takes you about three minutes. Um, it's called the Invisible Saboteur Assessment, and it's nice. at www.invisiblesaboteur.com. You go through the assessment, and in about three to five minutes, depending on how kind of fast you process questions and that sort of thing, you're going to find out what one of your largest, biggest, most interruptive uh, subconscious beliefs is and how it's tripping you awesome. up in business. And then in your inbox, I'm going to send you some things you can start to do about it to understand it, but also to create change in yourself. So I would say, go do that because at least, saying, yes, you you'll learn that. more about me, but more importantly, you're going to learn more about you. And you'll finally under be able to answer that question. Why do I know better, but keep doing this problematic thing. What is going on here? This is going to answer that for you. So I invite you to Take that assessment and learn more about yourself today.
1: Fantastic. And I will definitely put that on the show notes page and everywhere I put it on social media. The, as you suggest, the more people we can help to identify those characteristics in themselves that are invisible, unfortunately, I'm going to be racing off there too. I need to find Excellent. out about my own. <laughs> Excellent. I already suspect
2: I know what your outcome is. So I hope you do DM me after you take the assessment yes. and let me know.
1: <laughs> You'll have to tell me. Absolutely. I appreciate knowing if I'm consistent with myself.
2: Absolutely. And we've had, I mean, this has only been out a few months. We've had close to a thousand people take it already and it is spot on. It's spot on.
1: But I have no doubt it would be, you know, with your experience and the training that you've done. I'm not at all surprised that it took you months and months to develop it because, It's always the hard part. I mean, I always say that when I'm preparing documents or something, that first straw dog is the item that's going to take you forever. After that, it's very easy to perfect or criticize for others. So I
2: I agree. I agree. And I just hope you all find it valuable. It's a valuable thing to know about yourself. That's very hard to get out yourself without a little bit of guidance. So this assessment will guide you right to it. And it's going to make a ton of sense. And you're fine. Finally, going to have that aha that this is what it's been all along, that it's been tripping me up. And that's very valuable information. To have oh, about absolutely.
1: Yourself. And I wouldn't say that in it. some cases it's a simple thing, but once you know about it, you can deal with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you very much, Kelly. Thanks for joining us today and all this fantastic value that you've already been able to give us before. Before we do the assessment. Oh, so
2: Thank you, Nola, for having me. This has been such a pleasure and such an amazing conversation. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you.
1: Thanks for all the fantastic work you do. Enjoy the rest of the day. You as well. Thank you so
0: much. The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy Without Additional Sales and Marketing and download the Financial Growth Scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential. To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook.